Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses or your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Where's Fluffy prom party? Apparently on a rooftop at like five in the morning. Even though all venues in New York City close at 4 a.m., like hard close at 4 a.m. That is why it is the most elusive show in all of New York City, apparently. <laughs> I guess so. It's it's the FOMO of shows. Ooh, yeah, it is the FOMO of shows. Yeah. <laughs> so So prom party, full disclosure, I just got home from work. Like yeah, 10 minutes ago. So we are <laughs> recording this extra late. And I think that's appropriate for this movie and that it is our New Year's episode because I had a day full of many tiny inconveniences along the way, which seems appropriate for uh, <laughs> keep keeping the night on me, as it were, with recording Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Keeping the night on your pants, even yes. though we're not wearing pants. I changed my pants because they are uh, tight and not good for sitting. <laughs> I'm not wearing pants. I'm wearing candy corn booty shorts. See, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, from Party, we are talking about the wonderful 2008, in my opinion, classic. I'll say it. I think it's a classic. I don't know if other people think it's a classic. Well, those people are wrong, but we're talking about Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Oh, what a joy. We have been talking, I think, for like a year about how we were doing this for New Year's. This was one of the movies that we connected over when we first started dating. We were very excited to find out that the other loved this movie. Yeah, right? It was very, very sweet. Because you're a very Nora type, and I am forever Michael Sarah. <laughs> I'm not quite as twee as him, but I'm forever Michael Sarah. <laughs> so, Harmony, what was your introduction to Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist? Oh, I sought this one out. Oh, really? Okay, tell me about that. Well, I remember specifically that VH1 actually did a lot of promo spots for this back in the day. Oh, yeah, I do remember this, yes. Yeah, so I remember seeing a lot of behind-the-scenes things. Specifically, the one I remember is that I guess the Yugo would break down constantly, so they had to have a mechanic on set to fix it. Right, because I don't think they make that car anymore and haven't for decades. Uh, What if they did still make a Yugo? Could you imagine if, like, Elon Musk was like, I'm making solar-powered Yugos? You know what? Why not? <laughs> I mean, I had a kid in school who drove a Gremlin. Like, I just, there is something charming about a very old, dumb car that someone refuses to let die. Right. But I sought this movie out because I had seen Juno, so mm-hmm. I was a big fan of Michael Sarah. Mm-hmm. I did not love Superbad as much as everyone else. I was more of a, a soft Michael Sarah. Mm-hmm. Type of that. I liked him in the girl movies, not the boy movies. Okay, okay. Yeah, 
And uh, Kat Dennings had a big crush on her. Mm-hmm. Still do. Um, <laughs> her and Andrew WK, what a power couple that is. Yeah, for real. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I went out of this just because I had liked the couple together. And that was not something that I did very often. One of the only other times I can think I've done that is because was in uh, Love and Other Drugs mm-hmm. with Anne Hathaway and Jake Gyllenhaal, which are just very attractive people together. That's very true. I watched that movie with my mom. And how'd that go? I seem to remember enjoying it. I haven't revisited it since, you know, about this time, like mm-hmm. 2008, 2009. I don't know how she felt about it. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be like when we watched Sweet Home Alabama and... We had to realize, wow, this movie really loves the Confederacy. I think there's a good chance that Love and Other Drugs does not love the Confederacy. (laughs) God, we can only hope so. (laughs) So my introduction to Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist comes from a little bit of a nerdier place. Okay. Uh, I read the book uh, in one sitting. It took me about three hours. Well, aren't you a fast, impressive reader? I guess so. Um, and the reason being is because this is a book that is written by two of my favorite YA authors, David Levithan and Rachel Kahn. And Rachel Kahn wrote a book called Gingerbread that I was obsessed with in junior high. It was like my eighth grade Bible, even though that book is definitely meant for an older age group than eighth grade. But I matured fast for my age. You're mature for your age. (laughs) Um, So once I saw that she was on it and she had co-written this book with David Levithan, I was like, all right, I'm going to check this out. David Levithan wrote a book that I love called The Realm of Possibility. That's a great YA book. And also The Lover's Dictionary, which is an all-ages book that I recommend everybody read. Mm. But I flew through the book because the chapters – change perspective and the the authors change um rachel khan and david levithan have done a couple of books like this um like naomi and ellie's no kiss list or eli's no kiss list is i've heard of that yeah they made a movie about it with victoria justice um so i did not know that yeah (laughs) (laughs) so they've done um they've done this a few times but nick and nora was their first one Mm -hmm. and i will say it is the best of them there's nothing wrong with the other stories this one just really hits differently uh-huh. um and this book was something that really resonated a lot with me when i was a teenager and just trying to figure shit out figure out who i am figure out what i want out of life what sort of ex- things excite me i guess uh-huh. and this is a really good book for that in my opinion i could imagine that would be the case i mean the movie does that for me so oh yeah and i i definitely think that this was a a movie and a book that resonated with Kind of the the budding emo and indie kids that were existing. I mean, this is... Kids that really like the shins. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Vampire Weekend. Um, There's Vampire Weekends on the soundtrack, so... Are they? Yeah. (laughs) You would would think I would know what this soundtrack is about, but so much of it is kind of background-y that it just doesn't pop to me like the way that every other movie does where I go, okay, but the soundtrack, the Digimon, the movie soundtrack, <laughs> which is currently in the CD player of our car. Yeah, the, so- the soundtrack for this movie is is pretty incredible. And there's a lot of really fun stuff that I'm going to dive into with this. But before we do that, I would love for you to set some sort of cultural stage for us. What's going on in 2008? What's interesting to, to know about this time period that the movie's coming out in? So this is not our first film that we have covered from 2008, because sooner or later, we've we've hit the point. Oh, yeah, we're we're, we're doubling up. We're technically entering our third year of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Not full years, but third year. Mm -hmm. So, like, 
there between the '90s and the 2000s, there's there's a lot of stuff t- that's gonna cross over. Right. So here's a list of some of the stuff going on, and I don't think there's a lot of trends personally, but I do have two things that I want to mention after I I go through our laundry list. All right, give me this laundry list. Angus thongs and perfect snogging. Hell yeah. Assassination of a high school president. Okay. I don't even know what that is. Jumper. Okay. <laughs> That's a thing I forgot existed. Yep. Sex drive. I am such an apologist for sex drive. <laughs> I know you are. I like the climax of it. Can't say I like the rest of the movie. <laughs> the house bunny. Hell yeah, the house bunny. Doubling up on our cat Dennings this year. Mm-hmm. The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 2. Fine. High School Musical 3. Hell yeah. Prom Night. Okay. The Wackness. Oh, oh, okay. And Twilight. Oh, shit's getting real now. Yes. So I don't know what a lot of those movies are, but from basic plot synopsises, which I guess we'll read ours for this particular movie after we're done with this segment, but... I don't see a lot of uh, a lot of common ground between these films. Do you? As someone who's probably seen them and I haven't? I I really don't see a lot of pattern and I think this is why 2008-2009 this is when Facebook is starting to take off when mm-hmm. we're starting to pivot out of MySpace and into Facebook. Yeah. Which also means that the idea of popular culture being so monolithic as it has been pretty much the entirety of society at this point especially for teen culture since the 80s exactly is starting to splinter off and like obviously like counterculture has always existed Mm -hmm. yes but in terms of like pop culture this is when we're starting to splinter off in the sense that you can have a movie that is not geared towards standard society and it still be profitable and still have like a very rabid audience and a very very aggressive fan base Yes, but I think the alternative to that, actually, that is going on right now is we are uh, entering the franchise era of everything trying to be the next Harry Potter. Yes, absolutely we are. So obviously Twilight is just taking off now, but there's like Divergent, there are- Hunger Games is about to come out. So many things are now going to be your blockbuster franchises, and that fills a void of teen films, like at least on a large scale. Yeah, that's that's a really, really good point. And because of that, a lot less money is going to go towards original teen cinema because they are expecting all of the kids to save up their, their after-school job money and their babysitting money to go pay for the ticket to go see Twilight. That's mm-hmm. what they're banking on. Yeah, and I think that the other trend that I noticed going on from this period is that we are in the major motion picture pseudo-indie period that mm-hmm. I love so much. Mm-hmm. So I think Nick and Nora fits that bill very well. I think Juno is what like really started it. Mm-hmm. But you would see things like 500 Days of Summer or Adventureland or any of these other films that have a very distinct indie vibe, but with big names mm-hmm. or at least recognizable names. Well, it's because Juno made a shitload of money and then also won an Academy Award. Yes. So everything is chasing that. And I honestly really like that genre of, of film. 
I do too. I like the coming of age studio indie. Yes. You know? I like it too. And part of me is secretly hoping that that era is going to make a comeback due to all the limitations we've got going on right now with the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Because those are films that perform really, really well on streaming. Mm. And right now, as we've been seeing with the box office, unless you're putting out fucking Spider-Man, you're not going to make any money at the theater. Are you, are you criticizing West Side Story's $4 million? Uh, $10 million. Oh, my And bad. also, <laughs> it's like, and it's not their fault, but it's like, yeah. yeah, even a name like Steven Spielberg is not... Is not pandemic proof. Nope. The only thing that is right now are superhero movies. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to pivot to something new, which means we're going to need more lower budget films that are going to be able to be profitable if they pivot to streaming. Like that's yeah. straight up that that's the only they way. They are lower risk. Yeah, that's what we're going to have to do. If the if the numbers weren't rising right now, I would be thrilled to go to the theater and see West Side Story. Big same. As someone who has never seen West Side Story. Period. I want a part of me wants to show you West Side Story, like the new one, and then show you the old one just so that you can freak out when Isn't the old one like really racist? Yes. Okay. <laughs> like, was it intentionally racist? No. Was it ignorant white people that didn't realize, like, hey, maybe you should not put people in brown face? Uh yes. Mm, okay, got it. Uh-huh. 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 Well, Spielberg's not doing that, I would assume. No, he's not. Okay, lovely. <laughs> so <laughs> Before we dive into our synopsis with Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, this is a reminder that if you love the show, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. We have tiers that begin as low as one whole dollar, and we would really appreciate your support. If you're not in a position financially to do so, we get it. Shit's hard. There's a pandemic going on. All we ask is that you share the podcast with a friend, share it us on super social media, or give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because it genuinely and sincerely does help. Yep. And we, in the new year, are going to reformat all of our content on that Patreon. And mm-hmm. I'm really excited about some of the stuff that we're going to be uh, doing on Patreon now. I think so, too. If you are one of our Molly tier patrons, which is, I believe, $10 a month, uh, we are going to be going through Pen15, uh, oh. something people have been requesting for a while. Since and that's day where one. That's where you'll be able to find it. <laughs> So it'll be really, really fun for me to uh, explain <laughs> junior high girl experiences to I, Harmony. I truly, I, like, I don't even know if I can process Pen15 Pen at this point, and I have watched, like, almost the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. It'll be oh. fun. So, yeah, all that party's going to go on over at the Patreon. Okay, so back to Nick and Nora. Yes. Fandango synopsis. Our Fandangos have to say, Nick, Michael Sarah. Frequents New York's indie rock scene, nursing a broken heart and a vague ability to play the bass. Nora, Kat Dennings, is questioning pretty much all of her assumptions about the world. Though they have nothing in common except for their taste in music, their chance encounter leads to an all-night quest to find a legendary band's secret show and ends up becoming the first date in a romance that could change both of their lives. Okay. So two things. Mm -hmm. One... I always say that Hitch is my favorite romantic comedy, and I think that I would actually pivot it to this, mm-hmm. which I don't ever consider a romantic comedy, even though it totally is. It absolutely is, yeah. It just, it doesn't have the uh, the cliches that Hitch does, so right. you don't go there first. Two, how dare they say that Michael Sarah vaguely has an idea of how to play the bass? He's going to college for music. Yeah, he's very good at playing the bass. The only thing that's a problem with the jerk-offs is that they don't have a drummer. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm not opposed to, like, a band with a drum machine. Jeff Rosenstock recorded the first two Bomb the Music Industry albums with a drum machine and, like, a fucking... 
and an audio program that would make a random burst of white noise if you recorded off of it too long, and he turned it into, like, beats for his songs in his bedroom. <laughs> I am not opposed to the shitty drum machine. I'm not either. So let's dive in here, and let's first talk about Nick. Mm-hmm. I know that we usually start with the girl, but Nick's the one that we get introduced to. He gets to. top billing yeah, he in the title. <laughs> so how do you feel about Nick? Um... Dare I say that this is my favorite Michael Sarah? Bold statement, but I like it, but and I think I agree with you. Here's the thing. He's not really any different than Michael Sarah in any other typecasted Michael Sarah role. Mm-hmm. But I think he's more subdued or, or subtle, at least in like the earlier stages of the movie. Mm-hmm. So then when his big Michael Sarah-isms come out... They're a lot more obvious, and I think they land better. Mm-hmm. Like, when he and Nora are driving around, and she's like, so your friends are all gay, right? Like, they're gay. And he's like, oh, uh, yeah, uh, totally gay. I mean, if anyone's going to get raped in that van, it's going to be a guy. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, such a Michael <laughs> line of, like, I did not think out how awkward this was going to be before it left my lips. Right. But because he's, like, sad... And kind of kind of pulled back. Stuff like that jumps out at you a lot more mm-hmm. than they do in like Super Bad, where he's just at a 10 all the time, at least by Michael Sarah standards. Right. Yeah. I I have such an affinity for Nick because he reminds me so much of the boys who just followed me around like sad puppies in high school. <laughs> uh, I mean, he is one of those types of boys. He is that boy. I mean Am I somebody who has had multiple boys write EPs about? Yeah. Did one of those boys write a heartbreaking song about me and the title is inspired by a quote from a Wes Anderson movie, which is quite possibly the most like twee emo indie bullshit you've ever heard in your life? Yes, it is true. Oh, dear. I um, I mean, (laughs) I mean, I went on a date with a guy named Chadwick one time. And he bought me dinner, which was the main reason I agreed to go. And then we went back to his place where he smoked cigarettes like a Frenchman, like in terms of how he held them. And we Mm -hmm. watched The Grand Budapest Hotel, his favorite movie. Yeah, I feel like Chadwick and then this other guy, they would have been buds. Yeah, probably. (laughs) It's a very specific brand of man. Yeah. (laughs) Can I just ask, what did you see in her? I could floss with that girl. This is your friend that we're talking about? Okay, forget it. I can't do this. Do what? Just make a U-turn and take me back to Ludlow, all right? I'll find my own way. Perfect. I refuse to be the goodie bag at your pity party, Nick. I don't have to yell. I found a train station. We're in a tiny car. Just drop me off. I will. Are you crazy? I don't know what I did to you to make you so angry. Nothing. You're just, you're ridiculous. No, you don't even know me. I know you. I know your make. My make? You're an emo punk band boy and you're obsessed with Tris. They can make action figures out of you, drummer not included. Um, but I also hung out with a lot of guys like Nick, and they were some of my closest friends, and they were the people that I had really wonderful heart-to-hearts with, and mm-hmm. people that I genuinely still do care about, like, as, like, friends. Like, they're close pals. Yeah, I, I think he's very trusting. Like, I think so, I think so, too. I, I trust Michael Sarah. I trust Nick. Like, he's, he's non-threatening, and I don't mean that just because he's tiny and unassuming. Like, mm-hmm. he genuinely seems like he's not going to harm you. Emotionally or physically? To me, Nick is the 
Nick is the boyfriend that all of the girls who were taken advantage of by shitty bands that played at Warp Tour wanted them to be. Yeah. Like, he's the guy that they thought they were getting. Yeah. Because there there could be plenty to be said about the the soft boys and like the the fact that there are plenty of soft boys who use their art and their their sensitivity as weapons oh, uh, especially in the post emo exactly area like ever since that formula proved successful it's it's been open season right and I don't think that Nick is capable of doing that. I think no. he's too sensitive and far too empathetic for that. Yeah. He's far too aware of his surroundings. Um, and what I find interesting is that he is both someone who is very aware of his surroundings and like understanding what people need in that moment, but is still an idiot teenage boy. Yeah. And he fucks up a lot and yeah. then realizes, oh my God, I fucked up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very endearing trait because it's very honest. He's, he's allowed to make mistakes. And there's a lot of mistakes made in, in, the, in this comedy of errors <laughs> across all of New York City. But I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Nick is absolutely devastated by his breakup with Triss. Yes. Um, a woman who is is aesthetically out of his league, um, personality-wise, is a goddamn she-devil. Yes. Have you ever been absolutely destroyed by somebody you broke up with before? Or or that who broke up with you, probably, would be a better way of putting it. Like, have I ever been destroyed by Have you ever been Nick? Where have you, I ever been where you make where you're compelled to make ten mix CDs and then you're basically crying at the end and leave long awkward voicemails about well, I just I just you haven't called me back and I just yeah. I've only had my heart broken like that one time and I am far too worried about them knowing how upset I am. So they never knew how hurt I was and I mm-hmm. acted like everything was fine mm-hmm. and then would just like write sad poems on my live journal that no one could read. Oh. That's what I did. Gotcha. Yeah. How about you? Uh, yeah, totally. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Whoops. I shouldn't say her actual name in an episode. When I was maybe like 20 or something like that, fairly young. Mm-hmm. And we dated maybe for like a month. But I I realized only after the fact she dated me to uh, get back at her ex. Oh, that's so shitty. Where it's just like, look, I'm dating a trans person now. She has a dick. Mm. Yeah, they're, like sentences like that were uttered. Oh, and, uh, can I fight whoever this is? Uh, maybe. Okay, cool. I mean, we're not in Ohio anymore. So maybe one day. But like. It was it was a long thing where it's like there was a there was definitely a period where um I apparently she'd been cheating on me for like the last two weeks of our one month relationship with mm-hmm. her ex because I guess dating me had worked because <laughs> some people are like Triss and are evil and I was like hey uh we said we were gonna hang out today but you're not returning my calls um I'm just gonna head down there and meet you like we'd planned. And then they just wouldn't come to the door. Oh, no. <laughs> so I drove to like 45 minutes to like Bible country part of Ohio. And then they were just like not answering me and were ghosting me. And <laughs> that was a thing. Oh, that so sucks. Then, so then I found out that they were cheating on me, went home, uh, cried and did not sleep all night, only to be woken up the next day very early in the morning by a man knocking on my door looking for weed and blowjobs from my 
former roommate who had not lived there for like eight months. Oh my god, what what a twenty four hours you had! It was really rough. Oh no! And like the thing is, he's just like, "Yo, is 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 X person here?" I was like, "No, they don't live here. They haven't for a while." And he's like, "Oh." Well, like, can you hook me up a little? And I was like, just go the fuck away, please. <laughs> Get off of my porch. Get off my porch. I just, I don't have it in me to deal with this right now. No. <laughs> so, like, again, forever Michael Sarah. <laughs> forever queer Michael Sarah. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing. That's terrible. I mean, I should hope it's at least a funny story. I'm, I'm all about good experiences or bad stories. <laughs> yeah, was, that's pretty good. I've, I've never. Uh, yeah, I've never been through through something quite like that, but I definitely... I'm, I'm happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've definitely been... I, I've been the tryst to somebody, but not in the sense that like I was intentionally manipulative and evil the way that Triss is, because... Mm-hmm. I know so many girls like Tris oh, because they oh. all, like they all did that to my friends mm-hmm. where it was like this like girl who was definitely out of out of their social league in like a different rung on the on the social hierarchy ladder of high school on on the hot or not scale. Yeah, oh god, yo god, fuck hot or not. For yeah. those that don't know, that was a real thing that existed. Yeah. Where you could literally just rate people on whether or not they where were hot. Like, it was man, terrible. I'm a 4 but she's a 9 and is interested in me. Yeah. Wow. And then she's cheating on you the whole time. Yeah. But she just loves having you follow her like a puppy dog because she likes feeling needed. Exactly. She likes to emotionally manipulate you. Exactly. Ugh. There were a lot of girls that used to do that to a lot of my friends, and it was a real bummer. Um, but I was inadvertently the tris in the sense that, like, I would turn a guy down or, you know, they would realize, like, this is not going to go anywhere. Like, I, I just i am not wired this way. I'm not interested in you. And they would be devastated. Mm-hmm. Like, Putting sad, vague things on, like, away messages or MySpace bulletin boards or Facebook statuses uh-huh. or live journal posts because we had a lot of things going on then. Um, or, you know, the the albums. Uh, the one that was the most ridiculous is this guy wrote, like, a bunch of songs about me and then he did kind of what Nick did where he incorporated it into a mixtape. Uh-huh. Um, but you know how there's like the like the hinge on a CD, like a jewel case. There's yeah. that little empty space. Yeah. Um. He had put the pencil in it that he had written the songs about me. Oh. In that, so it was like, here's the pencil that I wrote all the songs about you with. Here, you can have it. I physically wrote them. Pretty, pretty much, it was like I physically did this. It was my own like blood, sweat, and tears. And I'm like, Ugh. I don't know what to do about this. I, I feel so I mean, uncomfortable. Thank you for the pencil. I'll just I'll use it when I need to write things. <laughs> It was, Probably not as important as what you were writing, but you know it's fine. <laughs> Grocery lists matter. Yeah, it was it was very weird. It was a very weird time in my life, but because of that, yes, I do have an affinity for for people like Nick for for these soft boys before soft boys was a terrible archetype. Exactly. Like I described him earlier as twee, and that feels almost mean because twee also feels insulting at this point now. But it yeah, didn't always. But mean it wasn't that. like that during like two thousand eight, right? Um, so you have said that you are a Nick. I am firmly a Nora. Oh yeah, your mom friend and your your tough bitch. I'm mom friend who will also beat your ass and love a powerful lip and have huge tits. Like uh-huh. love it. I'm a Nora. Big fan. Um I remember reading Nick and Nora and having that moment where I was like, are they just like, is this just me? Like, is this what this is? And it was one of the most validating experiences. But then of course, like she was boy crazy over this boy and I never felt that. So I was like, 
I'm just gonna flip I mean, that in my brain. A I mean, bit. <laughs> Michael Sarah's not he's a man, not much of one, but he is a man, damn it. <laughs> yeah, Nick in the book is not quite as Michael Sarah E. Oh, like no. he's definitely still like a, a soft boy, but he's not quite at that level. He's not King Soft Boy? Yeah, no, he's not King Soft Boy. Okay. okay. Um because I remember when they announced the casting, a lot of people were like, Michael Sarah, no, he can't be. And then they watched it and they're like, oh, wait, no, he actually works quite well. He's lovely. Yeah, he's lovely. Um, but I, I I love Nora's character because, you know, she is mom friend and she is a tough bitch, but she's also painfully insecure. Mm-hmm. And she also has like a dad that's pretty well known. And like, that's kind of where I grew up. Obviously, my dad did not like own a record label i wasn't that kind of well known no your dad worked for like the city council or whatever right <laughs> um so, but like the amount of people that just knew me in the community like i'd walk in and they'd be like ah colangelo's kid what's up small towns right exactly so like that really resonated with me but i also loved music and i loved movies and i loved mixtapes like the worst thing that happened when my car got stolen was that i lost all of my high school mix cds like mm-hmm. that kills me because so many of them are filled with bands that like we downloaded the music off of myspace do i remember these bands names no do -hmm. i remember the words to every single song yes have i tried to google those lyrics in six degrees of kevin bacon my way to find the band yes but they don't have their lyrics up there because they were just fucking myspace bands that don't exist anymore so all of that music is gone (laughs) i'm I'm sorry i i do love making mixes for you every once in a while but i don't think i do that much because we've been trapped inside so, we, so you, you, you just, just listen to whatever the fuck I'm listening to so I don't have any like tricks up my sleeve anymore. Yeah, you'll just be like, hey, check out this. I think you'll like it. And I'm like, hey, you're right. I do like this. Yeah. I'll play it through my crappy phone speakers on the couch after I get home from work. Exactly. Be like, hey, you want to hear some ukulele emo? I think you'll be into that today. <laughs> yeah. So how do you feel about Nora? I love her. She's she's everything I love about her is everything I love about you. Oh. And... I distinctly remember when we watched this movie the first time together, which was very early on in our relationship. Oh, yeah. This was this was one of our first, like, date at home, watch a movie together movies. Yes, we watched my hard copy that I got from a Blockbuster, except not really. It was from a thrift store, but it still got <laughs> Blockbuster stickers on it. Um, I distinctly remember that we had a long conversation about how Nora and Caroline, you were like, yep, that was me and my best friend. Yep. And uh, I think that that's very endearing and great Mm -hmm. (laughs) and also a little terrifying because I can only imagine the shenanigans you two got into. We got into a lot of shenanigans. (laughs) Oh, I've heard a few stories about it. (laughs) But I was always mom friend and I took care of everybody because I was also very worried about all of us getting arrested all the time. That was like a very big concern of mine. Yeah. They'll go on a permanent record. <laughs> I was never quite like that, but it was very much like, I just want to get in trouble, please. <laughs> no, I understand. But I um I I would dare to say this is also my favorite cat dennings. I think my favorite my favorite cat dennings is Charlie Bartlett, but this is a close second. I have not seen Charlie I Bartlett. I know you haven't. We'll, well, we will watch it one of these days. Okie dokie. <laughs> but uh, I mean uh, this is certainly better than her in the house bunny, because there's nothing wrong with her in the house bunny. There's just more for her to do in this movie. Yeah. Um I like her a lot more in this movie than like Forty Year Old Virgin, though she does play like a snotty daughter very well in that film. Mm-hmm. Like these were all the things that I had seen her in prior to this. I, I think she's also in Big Mama's house. She might. Oh, she might be. I think she is, and she's fine in that. But this was, I think, her real breakout performance in this yes. film. Yes, it was. This is the performance that also led 
for to like this put her in the public consciousness and she obviously did a lot more things and you know then she got to be on two broke girls and now she doesn't ever have to work a day in her life if she doesn't want no. to um and she's quite good she's, on that show she's very funny about how she's just like man i like i don't care if you all hate two broke girls i made a lot of money <laughs> she's amazing about that it's so good um, but no, she's actually really funny on that show. Like legitimately very funny. I've seen like one or two episodes and I, I think she's pretty okay. Yeah, she's quite, like, she's it's, quite lovely. She's, she's good at, for a sitcom. Mm-hmm. But this this movie I think really does allow her to shine because we get mm-hmm. so much of her and there's so much non-speaking acting that she does. There's a lot of reactive stuff mm-hmm. in here and you just can't help but fall in love with her. Um she she's always had like such striking features too. Oh yeah. And it like just her face like you you can't stop looking at her. Oh, she is one of the it, like everything about her face is just striking to me in mm-hmm. a way that feels extremely genuine and non-manufactured, which in this day and age is uh even more interesting. Well, because everybody has influencer face now. Yeah, yeah. Not, not a fan of everyone trying to have the same face. Yeah, it's weird. Going to the same doctors, getting the same work done, doing their makeup the same way. Mm-hmm. It's never never been my my steez. Yeah. I mean, if that's what makes people feel good and happy about themselves, like, knock yourself out. But it is always a little concerning when suddenly everybody does try to look exactly the same. Yeah, but, like, that's the thing here is we're talking about how... Since this movie came out, we've become a lot more splintered, like, culturally in terms of, like, movies and music and all this stuff like that. And that's true. But aesthetically, Mm -hmm. like, fashion and makeup and trends like that have become so uniform. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's it's also interesting, too, to see so many people that are together that look so stylistically differently because we have Kat Dennings and Tris and Caroline and all three of them go to the same school Mm -hmm. and all three of them have wildly different aesthetics. And I love that. And that's really cool to me. Um, Like Tris has like baby doll cap sleeves Mm -hmm. and she has that – the only way that I can describe it is 2006 curls. Like, mm-hmm. you just say that and you know exactly what I'm talking they're, about. They're large. They're large. They start right at, like, the chin. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all are, like, very flouncy and they end up on, like, your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, her highlights are not quite chunky highlights. It's when we were, like, pivoting out of chunky highlights. But they're still, like, pretty thick. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got, like, the tan makeup, like, uh, pale-esque lip going on. Like, that's a very, very, like, preppy 2000s girl. Mm-hmm. Caroline is like the party rocker girl. Like she looks like the precursor to Kesha, which yeah. I think is really awesome and fun. Um, I love that about her. And then Kat Dennings is she's got that look where it it looks like you've gone thrifting and you're you know buying clothes that look like you don't care, but you definitely care. Yeah, like I think that's a really cool aesthetic, especially that comes out of this for time. like high school. Yeah. Because everything is like disaffected and that's that's always I feel like that's been especially part of teen culture since the 90s where you started to get like conflicting statements of like I'm something but I'm not. Mm-hmm. Where like I'm always alone, I'm always by myself. Like where <laughs> where you have these things that say like you can't really see what I'm feeling because I'm doing this, but I'm also this, which is a lot of teen confusion, which is like, I'm not trying, except I'm definitely trying. So Uh which one is it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's something that's really, really relatable about this movie, because I I was super guilty of that, like growing up. My best friend and I used to go thrifting all the time, and I would buy like 
very loud print things. Um, I wore a lot of like ridiculous stuff. I used to, you, you know, do. very loud true. print is your favorite thing. <laughs> um, you know, I would tease my hair to all high heavens because of like scene kid stuff and like w- just wear a lot of dumb stuff, wear a lot of like really vibrant electric looking makeup all the time. And I did it and acted like, oh yeah, it's because I don't care what people think of me and I do it. But like, I also didn't look like a mess, which mm-hmm. meant I clearly cared about what people thought of me. Otherwise yeah. I would have looked like a train wreck and I yeah. didn't. I looked chaotic, but put together. And that's, uh, that's my favorite aesthetic, I think. Oh, thanks. It's like messy, but put together. Like, oh, the effort's there. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, Nora has a style that I wouldn't describe as as goth or alt, or grunge, or anything like that, she's she's definitely got, like, an indie look. Mm-hmm. And I really love this this era of indie, aesthetically, uh, musically, mm-hmm. film-wise. Like, I just really like this period. Mm-hmm. And I can't... I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I'm like, is this nostalgia for that specific period? Because I don't think... I don't think I really liked indie that much at the time. Like, it was fine. But I can't put my finger on why I'm enjoying it now, mm-hmm. specifically from like a, I don't know, 2006 to like 2012 period, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, I've been really into it because it just makes me feel good, if that sounds mm-hmm. if that, if that sounds weird at all, because it's that part of my life between like 2006 to 2012. So that would have put me between ages 16 and 22. Mm-hmm. These are the ages where I was finally starting to really have freedom and have my own autonomy and make my own decisions. Mm-hmm. But the weight of the world like really hadn't crushed me down yet. Right. Like I obviously knew I was like politically conscious. I knew what was going on in the world, but I hadn't been beaten down by it yet. So when I listen to music from that time period, that's what I am feeling nostalgic for mm-hmm. is that I was free. I was independent. I was an adult. But I wasn't so bitter and jaded. So, like, I'll put something on, like, Mira or the Postal Service, and it's like, oh. oh. what a simpler time. It just feels nice. It's comforting. God, I just want I just want to listen to that first fun album, Aim, Aim and Ignite, and just feel like the, anything is possible, but also, like, ha- happy-sounding songs about sad lyrics, mm-hmm. and, like, just feel okay. This is amazing. You are literally, like, my musical soulmate. Maybe I'll take this for a bit and you can just focus on driving. Well, you don't like my sweet grooves. It's just I need something to distract myself from the fact that you're driving my car pretty recklessly right now. I'm a great driver. Fine. Oh, this is a really fancy parking job. It's because it's good because if another car wants to park between us and the curb, they can get right in here. Fine. I'll get closer to the curb, just for you. Just for you, Nick. Just because you're picky like that. We're close enough to the curb now. We're right on it. This is actually something that you and I talked about off mic recently, which is that I'm hearing a lot of indie bands that are, like, pulling influence from indie bands of that era mm-hmm. and it's very apparent and I'm sitting there going like okay but I absolutely love this this is mm-hmm. like this is like Matt and Kim this is yeah. like MGMT this is fun this is all of these other things because 
15 year cycle. Like that makes total sense that mm-hmm. the band, the kids that are growing up now have like tons of nostalgia for this as like a young 20 something. Right. This is the music that made them want to make music. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I, I think that that's really interesting to think about because, you know, obviously time always continues to go forward. Mm hmm. And I, I, I'm sort of like nostalgic and starstruck by that in the same way that you have characters from this movie just sitting there and being like, you know what, you and I love the same music and we're bonding over this thing. And music is so intrinsically part of this movie, but also not mm-hmm. a huge part of this movie. You know the what I mean? The music in this movie feels like a character um, and it feels like so much of this, so much of the story is dictated by the music that is underscoring it yeah. or the music that is playing. I mean, like, because when we're at the club for the first time and the jerk-offs are playing, like, Screw the Man, and, like, it's, like, very aggressive and kind of shitty sounding, but everyone's mm-hmm. there, that is when the movie is at its most kind of chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, when when Caroline wakes up in the van and she's still drunk and is scared out of her mind. Oh, just death growls? The, the death growls of going balls deep. And it's yeah. just like, this is the most horrifying thing in the world. I got to get out and I got to run away. This is mm-hmm. a horror movie. Like, stuff like that is really, really wonderful. And then you have, like, this beautiful shit that happens whenever Nora and Nick are, like, falling in love mm-hmm. or whenever things are awkward. A, a beautiful score by Mark Mothersbaugh. Which oh, I yeah. Did, I did not realize he had done the score to this movie um, until I, like, noticed the, it in the credits this time. And then I'm listening to it and goes, okay, it's not as, like, plonky as a lot of the stuff you associate with him. But, no, this has absolutely got his his, his thumbprint all over it. Definitely. Um, so we didn't talk about her a whole lot, but I do want to take time to talk about Caroline because – Ari Grainer is one of the most underutilized actresses, in my opinion, because she's incredible. Mm-hmm. I feel like Ari Grainer is like Anna Ferris 2.0 for me, where it is an actress who is capable of being both mind-blowingly hot and also hilarious mm-hmm. and is not appreciated because of it, because people don't know what to make of her. People don't like those things together. They hate it, it like because it breaks their brain, because they don't want to accept that like a very, very hot girl can also be hilarious. Like They want women to choose between one or the other, and Ari Grainer and Anna Ferris are both like, yeah, fuck you, you get both. You're not allowed to be funny if you're hotter than Kristen Wiig. <laughs> like that seems to be the popular opinion uh, yeah and it's very annoying um because ari grainer is the best drunk i've ever seen in a movie she's the hot mess express and she's perfect like train left the station a long time ago and she has fallen off the platform <laughs> she's perfect yes like the the fluctuation of moods, just the way she carries her body, the way she handles her facial expressions, the way her voice changes. Mm-hmm. Um, Mind you, she goes through different stages of drunk. Absolutely. Like, like she starts a little, little tipsy, a little fun. She starts out like a woo girl. Gets real blackout hammered. And then by the end of the movie, she's like sobered up a lot. Yeah, she's sobered up and now she's back to being like fun drunk. Yeah. But in that middle section is where she's just so incredible to watch Mm -hmm. because she's so funny. Everything is just like party girl, like being wild, like, Hey, you mad at me? Hi. Is that a turkey sandwich? I don't know if I'm ever going to get home. (laughs) Nara. Like she's so good. And that is such like, she's such a great best friend as well, because even though she's a drunk mess that needs to be taken care of, the love that she and Nora have for one another is very, very real. And that's the loyalty. That loyalty. And that's why Nora takes care of her because Uh it's like, yeah, when she's not being a mess, like this is my ride or die Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be there to take care of her. Cause Nora's like, I'm straight edge. Like this is what she wants to do. I'm not about to judge her, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to make sure she gets, 
gets home safe and, and, and try to help her out. Mm-hmm. I I love Ari Greener in this. She's so great. So do I. <laughs> she is uh, responsible for the single grossest thing I have ever seen in a movie. And it makes me gag. Yeah, we won't talk about it a lot if you want to cover your ears so that I can mention it. Uh, but yeah, the Port Authority vomit gum situation. The Sisterhood of the Traveling Toilet Gum that just <laughs> goes from mouth to mouth to mouth before ending back up on Are You Randy's Head? Yeah. Oh my God. Like legitimately her pulling that fucking gum out of the toilet. Like I'm, I'm kind of a sympathetic puker. So, like, that moment in of itself is not good for me. But then she puts it back. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> And I can say, as uh, as the person sitting next to you while we watch it the second time, you absolutely put a pillow over your face. Like, and I needed to tell you when you could tag I'm back like, in. I don't need to be puking on our rug. It just, I don't want to be cleaning this up. <laughs> I don't want to be, like, the convenience store owner having to chisel puke out of the ice cream. <laughs> So there is an article from Film School Rejects that was written um, in honor of this movie's 10th anniversary called Suburban Teen Dream, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist Turns 10. And there's something that the writer brought up that I really want to talk about because I think, yes, they nailed this. And I'm just curious on your opinion. For a young person trapped in a small town, Nick and Nora's story is everything they dream about as they spend another night doing nothing adventurous waiting for the day that they can move to a place like New York City. This movie is the perfect embodiment of the naive thought that everyone in New York is cool, loves cool things, and has nothing but fun. Everyone in the movie, save for Nick's shitty ex-girlfriend, likes cool music, drives eccentric beat-up cars, has reckless fun, and goes to an endless amount of interesting places throughout the night. Since we never get to see them any other time, it seems like this is what they do every weekend, and to the teens listening to the same music that Nick and Nora love but alone in their rooms, this is what they long for in their youth. How do you feel about that? That feels very accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I don't want to get into this like L.A. versus New York kind of rivalry that exists because I'm going to be honest with you, um, <laughs> like y'all are both babies. I, I will I will defend Cleveland to the death, but I can only think of a handful of times where I've ever seen New York and been like wistful about it like this mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. Um, like the You and Weird Cities video by Jeff Rosenstock's one of them. Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of movies where New York is cool. Like, New York's mm-hmm. cool in the Warriors or Escape from New York, but it's not a place I want to visit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It just, like, this is definitely very alluring, especially because they're not from New York. They're they're visiting. They're from New Jersey. Right. And I, I guess that's just where all the stuff's going on. And I have um, really been struggling with not being able to do some of my basic things over this last several months mm-hmm. like this. Like... Um, full disclosure, we went to a, a concert recently, mm-hmm. and it was exactly what I needed at a time where I 100% needed it. Like, people ask me at work, like, just coworkers casually, like, well, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies? I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't fucking know anymore. Because mm-hmm. all of my hobbies like, got killed by the pandemic. Right. Like, I can't, I don't go to the gym. I go. I don't go rock climbing. I don't go thrifting. I don't do any of these things that I like to just do for fun. I don't go to garage sales. Mm-hmm. Or or any of this dumb shit that brings me joy. I, I can't go. I can't go to a, a fifteen dollar indie show just at a bar somewhere and and have that satisfaction. 
but I saw I saw Jeff Rosenstock with his his two lovely openers, and for just one night, I forgot things suck. Mm-hmm. And like I was in a real rotten mood. We almost forgot the show existed because I thought it was the next day, mm-hmm. and so we had to like hurry and get there. And I'm surrounded by like hundreds of people, all wearing masks, and I have a also 20, all vaccinated, all vaccinated because they checked at the door. And I have a 24 ounce PBR tall boy in my hand. I'm surrounded by a lot of noise and people in like kind of shitty thrifted clothes. And it felt good. It I, I forgot for a sec that everything sucks. Mm-hmm. And I I think that um. I think that that's what this movie kind of is, you know. I like, think so too. New York, New York, New York's not uh, necessarily lovely. This movie paints it in a very pretty picture that anybody who's lived in New York or anyone I've talked to who's lived in New York, uh, it's it's not quite as nice as this. It's full of a lot more more bullshit, a lot more puke in the ice cream machine than it is like <laughs> wistful indie shows, right? But it's the kind of thing that you need right when you need it. You need to get out of your your crappy New Jersey town and go and be with music, be around people, mm-hmm. do do something rather mm-hmm. than sit at home and, and sulk about an ex or something. It is the most important thing in that moment when you need it. Mm-hmm. And I haven't gotten that in a while. And Nick and Nora hits differently in a pandemic. Yeah, it it really does. And I think that... So some of the criticisms that I've seen people hurl at this movie is that it's unrealistic because this is not how New York functions. They would not be able to be getting in all these places. Like, why is no one checking their ID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And while, yes, that would be very much a good criticism if this was a movie that was based in reality, but it's not. This is an idealized version of romance. This is the type of night that people write songs about. That doesn't mean that it's real. Like, these nights don't exist. Like, this is a fantasy. Mm -hmm. This is a rom-com that is also a fantasy. And the people that don't understand that, like, it's just very frustrating to me. Because this is the the love that you dream of. This is the meet cute that you search your entire life for. This Mm -hmm. is that you know it when it happens moment that everybody writes about in their diary. That's what Nick and Nora is. Mm -hmm. And yeah, of course that means you get to go to all of the venues and nobody checks your ID. That your friend gets to be pissed drunk in public while underage and no cop stops you. Mm -hmm. Like, of course that means you can just abandon your shitty ex in the middle of the city and not have to worry about whether or not you're a bad person because you just left a teenage girl stranded somewhere on her own. Like, the the rules of of the world and the rules of, like, hey, the real world is shitty don't exist in this movie. Yeah. and and It's, I th- it's the most romantic New York's ever been. Okay, last stop. Get out, please. What do I owe you? It's uh, eight fifty. Here you go, man. Okay. Hi. Oh. Okay. Thanks. All right. Careful now. Oh my God. All right. Okay. Ow. Cherish one another, folks. Ow. Ow. Don't slam my door, please. Oh. Nice, folks. Charged a little extra for the cleanup. Huh. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. <laughs> Thanks for uh, sticking that out with me. and and even the things that are problems like the yugo not starting um or the yugo being 
confused for a cab and then a drunk Seth Meyers shows up to make out with a girl in the backseat. Um, they're at least endearing and fun parts of the story. Yeah. Also, that's Seth Meyers. A lot of people don't realize that. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot of tiny cameos. There's in this movie. so many weird cameos in this movie. Andy Samberg being the the houseless guy at the church. Just being like, "You're a fucking dog." <laughs> Me and Switzerland here, baby. We're here for you. <laughs> like that shit's super funny. I love that John Cho randomly is the hype man for Are You Randy for who knows why. I don't know because John Cho's great. Because John Cho's great, and he just shows up to be great for a cup of coffee and then pieces out. Like as an aside, man, it sure is cool to see drag pre drag race, huh? I love it so much, and a Christmas drag show when it's not Christmas. Yeah, it's like presumably August or something. Right. I love that. Yeah, I do. I do love seeing a drag show that is pre drag race, um, or at least I should say like pre drag race as it like invaded the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, I I miss that a lot. Yeah. So going back to this article from Film School Rejects, um, they they bring up another part of this movie that has aged, in my opinion, pretty remarkably well, which is the queer representation. And the writer says, introducing teenagers to sex is one thing, but Nick and Nora gives a glimpse of culture to kids far beyond a city's reach. Proudly queer, Nick's best friends and his band are all gay, without as many stereotypes as other comedies. For a lot of sheltered suburban kids or rural kids, LGBTQ plus characters like Nick's friends aren't regularly accepted like they are in this story. They show Nick, Nora, and the audience drag shows, which a lot of audience members could be seeing for the very first time. The nonchalant handling of queerness in a teen movie is pretty rare, even in 2008. We all know that representation matters, especially in movies for younger people, and in a movie that really upholds an ideal view of city life. Okay, yes, definitely. Let's talk about Tom and Dev and Beefy Guy. What's his real name? Uh, Lothario? Lothario. I, I don't hear. I'm gonna f- the credits also acknowledge him as Beefy Guy, parentheses Lothario. Right. And I'm going to continue calling him Beefy Guy. Beefy Guy is a great name. So Actually, his name is whatever you want it to be. Yeah, you know. So that's why I'm going to keep calling him Beefy Guy. Um, I love this trio of gay men. Because they are not the stereotype of what a gay man is in movies in 2008. You know, every, everyone is Nathan Lane. Everyone is like a limped wrist sissy type where they're just like, ah, Oh, yeah, this is... You, vagina. Yeah, this is the big, like, gay best friend, uh, queer for the straight guy era yeah. of gay. Um, And, like, that's fine if that's who you are, but, like, there's other gay people out there and... These guys are not, these guys are tough and they like can fix a a stalled car and they sing fucking hardcore. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is really rad because I had never seen that before. And I see it so infrequently even now. Like it took us like till 2008, 13 years ago to see something like this. Like for you and me, like, did you ever see like gay characters portrayed like this before? Like as casually and as not a like club gay man type no i really didn't and uh, there were characters like this that existed in like new queer cinema that came out in the 2000s like that exists like a lot of like gregor rocky films like you could see characters that were kind of like this in those mm-hmm. movies um obviously to a much more extreme extent because gregor rocky doesn't give a single fuck yeah um which is great like there's a lot of aggressive queerness out there like right 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 like the things that have been born out of like the Tama Finland school. Yes. But like this is just casual hardcore band gay. 
Yeah. And that was a thing that obviously exists because we have people like Justin Pearson um, from the locusts. Like he was that guy that mm-hmm. like existed in real life. Um, but in terms of representation that the jet, like the general public is getting mm-hmm. no, like that really didn't exist. And the late two thousands is when like, because people like Perez Hilton became really popular. Uh, this, Jeffree Star. Yes. And Jeffree uh. Star, like this is where the, the popularity comes in of like the sassy, bitchy gay stereotype. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to be the the image that was being pressed forward. And like, again, like you said, there are definitely people where like, that is their personality and that's who they are. And that's fine. The problem is when that is the only example of representation that we have, then it becomes stereotypical. Like, yeah, it's um, like, how are we supposed to know that you're a gay man if you're not a sassy, bitchy gay man? Exactly. Like, how are we supposed to know that Tom's a gay man unless he he talks about wieners? Right. Which, like, they do, but there's more to them than that. Right. They're, they have full personalities. They have likes. They have dislikes. They think about they the world autonomy. critically. They have autonomy. The only one that I even have any sort of semi-beef with is Dev, because I don't like when Dev... For, first off, like, why do you magically have a bra that fits Kat Dennings? Like, I assume that means that you're doing drag or something. Like, that's Probably. fine. Um, but I do have, like, a little bit of, like, all right, gay boy. Like, you do not get to tell, like, a woman that she looks like shit randomly and tell her to, like, fix her uni boob. Because mm. I have such an... As somebody who has gigantic titties, I have been criticized, commented, and fondled far more than I would like without my consent from gay men who feel that they are entitled to my body because, well, I don't actually like it because I'm gay, so I'm allowed. Like, fuck off. (laughs) I'm gay. I can fondle your titties if I want. I've had many gay men do that to me as well. Yeah. Be like, oh, let me see if they're real. Yeah, don't do that shit to people. And I have slapped them, and several have cried. Yeah, don't do that shit to people. They deserved it. Yeah, so that's my my real beef with with Dev, but, like, Tom, I love Tom. I I just want to hold your hand. Like, that, and the thing, the speech in the book is so much longer and more in-depth and is just so beautiful, and I think that the movie handles it very well. Like, obviously, when you translate something from book to movie, things do have to get trimmed. Things mm-hmm. do have to get changed just because of time mm-hmm. that I, I understand it. But if people like that scene in particular, which many do, I encourage you to seek out the book and read that scene because it is really beautiful. As someone who's pretty lukewarm to the Beatles as a whole, the Beatles have never been discussed better I than agree. in that scene, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, maybe Peter Jackson's get back, but that's also eight hours of your cool. life. Cool, I, I don't know have. You're not gonna a, do. <laughs> I haven't even watched the Lord of the Rings movies because I'm just not willing to commit that much time to something. You really think I'm going to commit it to the Beatles? <laughs> no, I know you're not. Okay. <laughs> um. So no, those are things that I really like, and I love that they have conversations about their queerness as well. Um. I also love the scene when they end up at the drag show. And they're all kind of looking at Nick because he's, you know, little tiny Twinkie boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the three of them are all just kind of, you know, flirting back. And they, you can tell, like, oh, yeah, they're in their element. They're really thrilling here. But the the jokes about queerness in this movie, um, because they do exist, because it's a movie from the 2000s, mm-hmm. but none of them are offensive. Yeah. Like, Jay Baruchel's tall makes jokes. And he's an asshole. Well, like, he's the biggest asshole. He's the worst. Well, I'm going to talk about him in a second. Sure. But um, like he makes jokes at their expense, and he's a dickhead, and that's why he gets knocked the fuck out, because mm-hmm. <laughs> he deserves it. 
Um, but then like one of the very first jokes that you get is, you know, Tom being like, Hey, you've been depressed for a month. Like it's time to move on. And I, some people have criticized that scene and they're like, it's dismissive. You should never say that about somebody. And it's like, yeah, agreed. But he doesn't have depression. He's whining about a shitty girlfriend because he can't see how shitty she is. You do need your friend to kind of be like, buddy, she fucking sucks. He's wallowing. He's wallowing. He's not choosing to do this. Yes, this is not mental illness. He's actively participating in his own sorrow. Like, buddy, come on. Um, So, yes, there is a difference there. But when he's doing that, like, you've been depressed for a month. Like, come on, it's time to get it together. His response is, you guys don't know what it's like to be straight. It's awful. Like, that's a great gay joke. Like, Um, it's fucking fantastic writing. I mean, it's also a good line. It's just also a good line. I see people use that as a meme all the time. I have a lot of friends who are just tragically, tragically straight. And bless their hearts, they'd probably have so many lovely women treat them so much better. But (laughs) alas, they are cursed with men. (laughs) They can't help it. They were born this way. I know. (laughs) I know. All right. So let's uh, let's talk talk about Tall, who I fucking hate. What's with Jay Baronshell trying to be like a cool guy? First off, yeah, what the fuck is that about? Because I think he does She's Out of My League like two years later uh-huh. where he's supposed to be like the lamest boy in the world. And in this, he's supposed to be like the lead singer of uh, his, his, his Jewish indie his band. His Jewish indie band. His, his, his like, what is it? Like the fucking Star of David's on fire or whatever? Yeah. Like it's super hardcore. Yeah. I love. I also love that there there are some comments like about Judaism in this and all of the comments like they're they're people who are Jewish. Like Kat Dennings is Jewish, Jay Baruchel is Jewish. Uh-huh. Um and it's very common because they are in like the New York City and New Jersey area. There are like high populations of Jewish communities. So mm. it's not like they just shoehorn this in to be assholes or something. Yeah. Um so I Make it make sense. Yeah, make it make sense. So I I enjoy that representation. Um, I think that that's cool. And there's there are some like undercutting moments where Tris is being like borderline anti-Semitic because there's a lot of stuff about like having a famous rich daddy that like teeters on like Jews have all the money commentary. Like well, that's that's where she's creeping into. Well, I had to ask you about this because it was a term I had not heard before. But Michael Sarah's like, oh, yeah, well, I heard you're like a snooty Jap. And I was like, well, that's clearly not slang against her being Japanese because she's not. So I didn't like, what does this mean? A Jewish American princess. I was like, oh, I've got it. Yeah, so there's you know there's there's stuff like that that goes on in it, but, but yes, it, he's he's parroting what Tris said, right? And he's trying to be a dickhead. Yes, and he's that's, like, I will hurt you because I have no investment in you, and you're being a jerk, and I'm being a jerk, and we <laughs> spend a lot of the movie fighting because it's a rom com, and that's why she checks him in the throat. Yeah, and he fucking deserves and it's it. Also very funny. Yeah, it is great because she says less dance douchebag, which is she's so full of good lines in here. Mm-hmm. Like fistful of assholes is good. Yes. I will not be the goodie bag at your pity party. I use that one all oh, the time. That was really is a great line. Love it. Um, but yeah, so going back to Jay Baruchel's character, the reason that I hate Tall so much is because the moment that you meet him, you know exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's only interested in her because her dad is the owner of this record label, and he's trying to use her to get to him. And I hate that because I know so many guys that have done that to me, either through, like, they've approached me romantically, which, barking up the wrong tree there, or they've done it through friendship. Mm -hmm. And that's really 
really fucked up hey, in a lot of ways. Can you in touch with some of your fancy movie friends? Pretty much. Where it's I, like, I saw hey, your Facebook you... friends with Kane Hodder. Yeah, can you give me their can you give me their email so I can send them my screenplay? Like shit like that is really really annoying. And then the like the one serious guy that I did ever date frequently referred to me as a meal ticket because he was like, oh yeah, I'm never going to be able to make it as a filmmaker because nobody's interested in the opinions of like cis white men, but you're a woman and that's the new hot thing right now. So if I can hitch my wagon onto you, then I can have a career in film because of you. Like that's tall behavior mm. and I fucking hate that shit. So do I. It's a good thing that I don't really want a career in film because you don't have to worry about that with me. Yeah, thank God. It's great. Yeah. Love it. I love that you are not in the industry. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a low achiever here. I just want to make <laughs> enough money to live in the most unannoying way possible. <laughs> yeah. So I, I hate tall. And I also hate tall because he is that first relationship, like the first person that you date that makes you feel special. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you end up doing things that you likely wouldn't have. You tolerate a lot more shit. You tolerate a lot more shit. Or like there's a lot of scenes where like Nora clearly knows that Tall is no good for her, Mm -hmm. but like Nick blows her off and she feels like shit. So she calls Tall because at least it's something. Mm -hmm. At least she can feel something. And she even addresses it. Like her and, and Nick talk about it and she's like, it's just nice to feel special sometimes. Yeah. And okay, but Nick and Nora talk about it. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. Because, like, okay, obviously, like, that's what you do when you start dating someone or you start becoming interested in someone romantically. You talk. That's, that's you know, how you break your ice. But they talk about more than just, like, oh, hey, you happen to like all the same music as I do aside from The Cure. Right. Like, they actually have conversations about other shit. And something else that I really enjoy, too, is, you know, I've heard a lot of people, they always say, like, well, never talk about your ex on the first date. Never talk about your ex on the first date. They have to Mm -hmm. because of the situation that they find themselves in where Nora is someone who goes to school with his ex and knows his ex. And because of the whole, like, hey, be my boyfriend for five minutes thing, it's unavoidable. And Mm -hmm. it's actually worse to not talk about it. So they have those conversations and they also see each other in like pretty vulnerable states. Mm-hmm. Like they're driving around in the Yugo having, you know, a good night listening to music, jamming onto that playlist. And then suddenly it's like, all right, Tris, that's it. Ten songs for my broken heart. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, no, this is a breakup mix. Yep. Oh, God. You just never gave it to her. Yeah. And it's like so cringy. But like once you've been through that, it's like, well, we can't not acknowledge that that happened because yep. that's weirder. Yep. <laughs> and I like that they are willing to go there. And some of it is clumsy and messy because they're teenagers dealing with big feelings and heartbreak. And it's frustrating. Frustrating, mm-hmm. and they allow it to be frustrating. It's it's very refreshing, especially because this is really just a story about people realizing, like, oh wow, you're worth more than your crappy ex was giving you, and that's just really great to see. Because mm-hmm. like you and I both had long relationships prior to seeing each other, mm-hmm. where we were pretty well manipulated and treated like shit. Absolutely, and um. Now we're together, and we frequently have moments where I have to look at you, and you look at me, and we'll just say to each other, like, you know, um, when I was with X person, mm-hmm. this was a thing that happened, and it was really awful, and that doesn't happen with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm processing that. Because sometimes you don't realize how bad something was when you were in it until you're out of it, and you're not treated that way. Yeah. Because when you're treated so 
badly, it becomes normalized and it becomes really difficult to realize that this is not the way that you deserve to be treated. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're going through together on this is realizing, oh, wait, I can have these conversations. We can listen to this music and have like a fun time. We can rib on each other and it's not mean. You know, we can talk about being an hour away from each other Mm -hmm. and like it doesn't have to be this end all be all kind of thing. We can just sort of exist and and enjoy life together. Mm -hmm. And that's really refreshing and interesting. And watching them come to those conclusions together is really beautiful. Yeah. And they even do it at different points. Like they move Mm -hmm. at different tempos with each other where like Nick goes back uh, with Tris for a hot sec. And she does like this sexy little dance or whatever. That for is him. so awkward to watch because it's a lot. Oh, it's a lot and not very much at the same time. Mm-hmm. But the thing she says is like, "Oh my god, this is my song, and it's you sexy thing by Hot Chocolate." And if that's her song, I just feel like she likes it because that's what she wants to be told. Mm-hmm. You sexy thing, like that. That that's all the depth that she has versus like. Nora's like, oh, this is my song where they're listening and sharing all of their music together Mm -hmm. and they like the same music and it's all um, evocative and emotive and expressive and Mm -hmm. those are the things they're bonding over and not just being like, you sexy thing. Right. And he has that moment where he just is like, no, fuck this. I screwed up. And he tells Nora like, I screwed up. Mm -hmm. I, I own that and I would really rather be with you. And then... They go and fuck in a music studio. I'm glad that you brought up the fucking in a music studio. Yes. Because something else this movie does that I find very interesting, especially for a movie of this time period, is that there is a subplot that has to do with sex, but it is purely centered around the pleasure of Nora. Because Tris mm-hmm. tries to get at her and being like, rumor has it you've never had an orgasm, as if like there's something wrong with never having an orgasm at 17. But also like pro That's tip- a whole lot of not her fault. That's yeah. a whole lot of fucking right, that's a whole, Cal's fault. That's a whole, since Jay Baruchel clearly needs to figure some shit out. Or maybe he's just not choosing to. You know what? That's also That's true. more likely. I feel I bet like- Jay Baruchel does not eat pussy in this movie. <laughs> it's like DJ Khaled. <laughs> But, like, this is a movie that is centered around her pleasure. And, uh-huh. like, while the goal of this movie is not, like, ah, Nora must have sex. Like, that's not what the the point is. But when she and, and Nick finally do something together, he's taking care of her. Mm-hmm. She doesn't do shit all with him. No, she spends the whole movie taking care of everyone else. Yeah. And then she lays on a couch and he gives her her first orgasm. And it's really beautiful. And it's shot stunningly because uh, it's with the the music levels and that's it's, it's uh, the music levels and you're just kiss. following the chord from the mic in the live studio yes the, the hot mic and it's going all the way into the console and you see like the levels and you were like oh her orgasm sounds a little weird and i was like she's embarrassed she's trying to hold it in and, and play it cool yeah, that's so that's true. probably why that's very true but it, it's not that it sounds weird it just sounds like it's not real um but wow harsh <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think that Michael Sarah is actually giving Kat Dennings an orgasm on set, so she's clearly having to well, act. Well, that's what acting is. Of course, all <laughs> acting's not real. But then you get the like the pull back because it's like, oh, they get the text message about the next clue for for where's Fluffy, and like which we barely talked about the whole movie. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> the whole point of the movie is they're trying to find a band. There we go. I said it in the description. We're fine. Uh-huh. Um, 
but they're fully clothed. Her pants are undone. He clearly just like finger blasted her. Like that's what happened. Yeah. And we know that because they're also like talking like before things are happening. So we know he's not going down on her. Uh Um, So yeah, the entire scene is centered on her pleasure and her having an orgasm and her feeling like taken care of. And that is unheard of. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't think of a movie since then that's about that that isn't also, like, like that. that's the whole point of it. Like, I love the movie The To-Do List, but that is specifically about a woman who was actively going out and, like, taking control and, like, seeking out sexual partners. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, it's it's a different category. I'm a big fan of The O in Ohio with Parker Posey and Paul Rudd and Danny DeVito, but that's also the whole point of that movie. Exactly. Is that Parker Posey has never had an orgasm. Correct. Because in that movie, Paul Rudd's not doing his job. He's not. Danny DeVito <laughs> will take care of her, though. They have Spo- steamy pool sex. Spoilers. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, that movie is way better than it has any right to be. It's fantastic. Go look for that movie. It's very true. And honestly, like, I feel like people hearing that spoiler, that's what entices them to oh, that's want to see go- it. That's what's going to sell it. Yeah. They're just like, I got to see how we got here. <laughs> yes, exactly. But okay, back on, back on the sex for a second. Let, let's hop back on. Okay, hopping back on the sex. I know that you actually really love this scene in the movie, but I think you prefer the book version, don't you? I do prefer the book version. Okay. And the book version, because the the subplot about the record studio is not a thing, um, in the book version, it is at, I think like it's like a motel or somewhere that has a public place where there are uh, Pepsi machines, like snack mm-hmm. machines and pop machines. Okay. And they do it together, and there is just this description about their bodies being illuminated by the light of the Pepsi machine. And it is so gorgeous, the way that it's described. And when I saw the movie for the first time, I was genuinely disappointed that that scene wasn't there. Because I was like, oh, I really love that. And I wanted to see what that would look like visually. Mm -hmm. But I did finally get it, because a scene like that exists in the last season of Shrill, Mm -hmm. um, but it's two beautiful, hot, fat black women and big fan. I was thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, not only do I get what I want of people being intimate while illuminated by snack machines, but it's also gay and fat. This is the best day ever. (laughs) I just, I'm missed. I know I'm not like pretty like that. You're beautiful. Why is this button so difficult? (laughs) Why would you buy these pants? I don't know. I just, I don't know. I can't remember. (laughs) Cold, cold hands. Sorry. Why are your hands so cold? So, towards the end of the movie, Nick and Nora, the band, Caroline, Tris and Gary, who we've not even mentioned exists because this entire time that Tris is trying to torture Nick, she's got her new beau just like following her around like a sad puppy and she's mistreating him. He's also a college guy because like college guys are the best. Yeah, he's a college guy and he has like swoopy hair. Which like that's also a thing that Caroline has where like towards the early part of the movie when they're getting ready to go out, some like guy honks at her and she's just like, yeah. And we're like, man. Being in 2008 and being a teenage girl, you just assumed older men lusting after you was a compliment. I know. And then you turn 25 and you think, huh, wow, that guy was really into me being a minor. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's a thing throughout the whole movie. 
Yeah. Fuck you, Gary. <laughs> like, I realize you're being taken advantage of and you're a doormat, but fuck you, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, so they all get to the show. They're going to all watch Where's Fluffy? Um, but there's kind of a showdown between Tall and Triss, and it's a big chaotic mess. Mm-hmm. And Nick and Nora basically say, fuck this. We, we're, no, we're going to go be with each other and we're going to leave. Mm-hmm. So they leave the set. They go to the train station. They're going to go home. And as he's on the escalator, she's like, are you sad that we missed it? And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, this is it. Mm-hmm. And dude... He earns so many brownie points in that moment. Like, that is the perfect way that you end this movie, mm-hmm. is that line, them going on the train to go home as businessmen are running up to go to work. Oh, yeah, like, the sun's up now. It's like mm-hmm. Bar Italia from fucking Pulp's album, Different Class. It's it's perfect. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's an all-night kind of movie, and there's something that's, as, for me especially, like, as a bartender, like, an all-night movie like that, really clicks Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and i think that adds to kind of its idealized look of like there's no curfew like parents aren't calling being like why the hell aren't you home like having such a fun night mm -hmm. that you couldn't sleep and you stayed up all night Mm -hmm. and you don't even look haggard or tired or dead at the end of the night what lip was she wearing that it lasted the entire night impressive Mm mm-hmm But I I think that just adds to the fantasy of this movie is all of these things fell perfectly in place together and then they're going to get on the train and they're going to go home and they're likely going to like go home together, drop each other off. And then this is the start of their relationship. Yeah. And what a way to start, you Mm -hmm. know, like this is this is the story that they're going to sit around the the fire and tell their grandchildren about the wonderful night when they met Mm -hmm. and it's one of those rom-coms where it's like, yeah, no real notes. Like, are there things that I would change about it? Yeah. It's a movie made in 2008, which is why Seth Meyers says, I love you so much. It's redacted. Um, and it's like, yeah, that's not cool. We don't need that there. Yeah. Um, they do drop the R word a lot because again, 2008, 2008. um, like that, would be cool to not be there. Uh Um, But ultimately it's like everything else is very justified and in world and all of it makes sense for teens in 2008. It all makes sense. And it really does capture this time that I don't think really exists anymore because I don't think you could make a movie about this group of people again. Not with these circumstances. No. Like the internet, having the internet in your pocket obliterates the idea of this movie oh yeah like you would not be hearing about like the secret clues of where's fluffy from you know bar bathrooms and the radio station no like it would be it would be some instagram thing you have to unravel that would then take you to tiktok so they get all of the views and the clicks and whatever exactly they would it would be commodified in some way shape or form yeah like they're an industry plant (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they would be an industry plant for sure. I was really bummed out. I found out that the person, Gail, who sings A, B, C, D, E, F, U, and your mom and your friends or whatever, mm-hmm. like they're an industry plant. And oh, I was great. bummed about it. But at least they weren't as obvious. So it's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. But when I found that out, I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm I was sorry. bummed. I'm sorry for you. <laughs> I got bamboozled. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but but where's Fluffy? Real quick question. We don't hear what where's Fluffy sounds like. I feel like it. the reason that we don't hear that is because it's like the Tenacious D tribute thing of like, this is not the song we actually play. This is a tribute because no matter what. It, it won't meet your expectations. Exactly. So you need to not sh- yes. hear it. 
But who do you think, this being based in 2008, where Fluffy sounds like? Ooh. Fall Out Boy. Fall Out Boy? No, they're, no these this, kids are a little is, bit too this indie. Is, this is post Fall Out Boy. I don't think they're... This is not emo. No. This, this is like indie folk. Yeah, they probably sound like Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> I don't think they're Franz Ferdinand. Okay, I, Modest Mouse then. I, honestly, Modest Mouse, maybe. Well, I know it won't win. Or, or like OK Go. Something a little more garage. Yeah, that, you know? that Jimmy Eat World Strokes. Mm, you know, all the strokes. Yeah. It probably is the strokes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I also think there's like maybe the Walkman. Okay. That song, The Rat. I think that's what where Fluffy would open their set with. I don't know. <laughs> well, I do know for sure it can't be Mattis Miles only because when Nick is in the Yugo and he's uh, just trying to drive and Tris is like putting her feet on him, he's whistling a breakup song by mm-hmm. Modest Mouse and it's very sweet and it's like oh that's a cute little little thing he's thinking yeah. about his heart being broken and she's trying to seduce him yeah I see you foreshadowing exactly but like Modest Mouse is the credible indie band yeah that everyone yeah. wants to see yeah you know yeah I can that that's kind of the the playground that we're playing with with where's Fluffy yes <laughs> well I feel like I already know the answer but I'm gonna ask it anyway Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card or bathroom stall back? No, we're too cool to go to prom. We have to <laughs> run around New York and hang out in bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> we need to go to venues that we are sure as shit not old enough to get into. Yeah, well, that's fine. I miss being able to go to like a $15 show at a venue and see a band I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Like the vibe of like a, a vivid being a basement. Where mm-hmm. there's not a single unstickered or sharpied inch of that bathroom wall. Yeah, I miss that a lot. Oh, God, this pandemic sucks. Yeah. Like, all with all due respect to everyone who has died, me personally have been victimized by not being able to go to shitty bathrooms and feel okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I, just, I love this movie. I, I just, it's, again, like, what you said, it's like, it's 2008. That aside, no notes. It feels like the teen movie for people like you and me, mm-hmm. which is wholly unrepresented and honestly not discussed very often. I agree because the the pinnacle of our teenage experience is not going to prom. It's having that one night that can never exist in any other time or place. Mm-hmm. And that's a really cool thing to capture in a, in a teen movie. Yeah. And especially that this is not like, this has all of the hallmarks of like a punk movie, but it's not. It's an indie movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love this movie and I'm glad that we got to talk about it. And I think that this is a great way to end just yet another shit Sunday of a year. Our first full year as a podcast. Our first full year as a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Wild. And our, our second Michael Sarah New Year's episode. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, it is. Because <laughs> <laughs> we did Juno last year. That's so weird. Fuck, what are we going to do next year? Uh, Michael Sarah, what other girl movies have you been in? <laughs> Get him on the horn. Scott Pilgrim. It's not for girls. I beg to differ, but. Yeah, I know, but it's all about the boy. It's all about Ramona Flowers. It's all about the girl. You know, there's a compelling argument there. We'll take it up <laughs> and we'll, we'll take that under review over the next 366 days. Beautiful. Sounds great. Yes. <laughs> 
Well, friends, I think that takes us out on Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. I am on Twitter and Instagram as well at Velocitraptor. Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And speaking of killer fucking indie bands, thank you so much to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Y'all fucking rule. Harmony, what is a cool indie band that you want people to check out this week? Well, first of all, uh, the Sonderbombs are rolling up on one year of Clothbound being out, which is really, really sick. And I'm very proud of them for all of the stuff they've done. And Without proud. really being able to do live shows. But since it's the end of the year, I'm going to give everyone a little bit of a late Christmas present and give you a little supersized stack of recommendations. Let's go. So, because we went to a show recently, I want to shout out the bands that were there. So, our first opener of two openers was called Oceanator. Big fan of them. Uh, Their album that they released of Things I've Never Said was one of my favorite releases of last year. If I had to pick a song off that track that's my favorite, it's Heartbeat. There's a part where, like, there's vocal harmonies that only exist for, like, two lines for no reason, and it is really, really great. It's, like, candy for my ears. The other opener for Jeff Rosenstock was Slaughter Beach Dog. And Which is such a great name for a band that doesn't sound like that should be their name. No, they're very, uh, they're very like rootsy and heart Heartland almost, mm-hmm. like a like a like a indie folk album. Uh, my favorite song by them is Your Cat, and of course, Mr. Jeff Rosenstock himself was in tour was touring in support of his No Dream slash Ska Dream album, where he record re-recorded No Dream as a Ska album. Um, literally, listen to anything he's ever made. Arrogant Sons of Bitches is great. Every album by Bomb the Music Industry is great. All of his solo records are also fucking great. He's my favorite artist of all time. He's extremely New York. And I will give you one extra that we did not see live because, again, we're doing supersized. Because I wanted something really romantic. Aww. The proper recent indie release that I want to shout out is called The Denton Weaver by a band called Raccoon Tour. Oh, great name. Yes, I've played you a little bit of them. They are ukulele midwest indie music so everything that i love yes they obviously have parallels to like a never shout never i think they sound more like a a matt and kim or a fun like an early fun type band um personally i think the whole album is incredible it is one of my favorite releases of the year and it only came out at the in december like right at the cutoff basically uh, my favorite songs include funeral song the title track of denton weaver fuck and mount Hecla, it is so romantic and sweet, and it's all about like, hey, um, you make poverty fun, and there's no one I would rather starve with, which I think really encapsulates this whole movie, and it's inevitably broke musician vibes. I love it. I love it so much. I yes. think that's a perfect addition for this week, this movie, and the end of this year. Yes. So much indie music. No one has any excuse for not having cool stuff to listen to. Especially with everything we've been shouting out for this year. <laughs> awesome. Well, friends, that's it on, on 2021. Fuck. We're fucking out of here. Fuck. See you next year. And don't forget, save that last dance for us. Fuck. Bye. Bye.
one hair in her head, I will kill all of you. Sorry, I'm being carried. <laughs> oh, she'll be okay. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.